You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we are joined by special guest Anthony Menino to learn the art of winning with bad decks. We talk about Anthony's latest 5-0 creations, from Demir Processors, Yogmoth Winota, Braid's Cabal Minion, and much more. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to Faithless Brewing. Tonight, our usual co-hosts are still nowhere to be found and Saki is still lost in the deep seas. However, I'm joined by our beautiful CEO, Daniel Shriver, alongside a very special guest. I play Bad Decks, better known as I play Bad Decks, because Anthony Manino is, is not how he's known as. And how is it going, old friend? It's going good. Thank you guys for having me back on. It's a, it's a true honor and pleasure to try to steer you guys away from playing good magic cards. That's always your intent. For anybody that doesn't know, I get daily PMs by Ann saying, Mord, I have a terrible idea. <laughs> it's usually like one idea followed up by like 75 more and maybe one of them sticks, but that's all that counts. That's all that he cares about. And also, as I said before, our lovely CEO, also known as Miss Mord since last episode, is joining us. So, Kairan, how are you doing? Miss Mord. <laughs> Not yet Mrs. Mord, but yes. Good to be here. Anthony, great to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's good to see all you fellas again. So you were last on the show, what, what was it, a few months ago? I think it was three or four months around April. Oh, actually, it must have been longer than that, actually. Hmm. Could it be January? You're making me tick now. Why do you gotta be like this? I should have checked before we started. Sorry about this. <laughs> it was uh, end of May, I think. Or no. Shen- wow. That was right. January. I was about to say, I was, I was looking at my crab vine results. <laughs> yeah, this was so long ago. I was sure it was like April. What the fuck did eight months go by? Yeah, time is cruel to all of us. Like, it's been a few months, and by that I mean eight months. My god. <laughs> but the good news is, you're, you're still winning with crab vine and with other stuff, and I'm excited to talk to you more about what you've been playing. Yeah, it's... Um... I've been playing uh, like a bunch of hot pile of trashes, but some of them work, and I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about them. Well, of course, I always love to hear about Anne's trash, because I do that every day, and I still love it. <laughs> but before we go straight into I play bad deck trash, we have a bit of housekeeping to do. Yeah, just a reminder that if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support what we do, uh, the best way to do that is by joining our Patreon you can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any tier you're comfortable with. That can be a dollar a week. Uh, gets you access to our Discord channel. we got an awesome community there. We have two new patrons we would like to welcome this week. They are Granger H and Monetary Mentor. Whose first action in the Discord was a personal attack against Mord, which is not going to be forgotten. I like this guy already. His first attack was getting to the get into the Discord 
post an interesting decklist and go like, I would love if any of our brewers, in between quotes, or even more. <laughs> Whoa. My new best friend. <laughs> yeah. Are you hoping genius brewers, or even more, can help me with a few questions? A personal attack at his first moment. Yeah, there's been some spicy stuff happening in the Discord. We've discovered recently that uh, you're not the youngest person in our Discord more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you're an old man now. You're like a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 23-year-old. You're an old man compared to some of the young guns we have in the Faithless family. <laughs> some younglings. Some under-16 younglings. But yeah, it's a great place to come hang out. Um, a, lot, a lot of crazy brewers in there just throwing ideas around all the time. One of the things that we are working on and we've been doing for the last couple of months is we have a monthly community project in which people nominate cars, they vote on them, and then we spend a series of weeks trying to iterate and improve. Uh, we're doing that alongside the guys from the Serum Visions podcast, Arun Singh and Brian Madden. And we've just finished up a new round of voting. Yeah, and we have a beautiful winner. I was gaslighted by Dan for weeks into believing unexpected results was going to win. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. He actually made us at a bunch of the faithful followers of BB and Artbow to actually trust in him and his lies that I expected results was going to win. Luckily for us all, it wasn't even close. <laughs> That's probably because I, I, I talked it up too much and then people were like, oh, it's definitely, unexpected results is definitely going to win. I don't need to vote for that card. I'll just <laughs> vote for, we'll throw more at a bone and, and vote for his toolbox cards. So everybody was, I got like, an interesting percentage of the Discord on my side following the Vivian Sark bow, but we weren't enough. I'm sorry, my followers. We're going to stuff the ballots a bit more next time. So just a quick recap of how the voting went. Uh, we had 16 cards on the ballot. It's a huge number. And this was an awesome group of cards. I, I don't know what I would have chosen. There were too many good ones to choose from. The top five, actually top six because of some ties, when all the votes were tallied, in fifth and sixth place was a tie between... Pyre of Heroes, another Mord favorite, and Fevered Visions, a card that, you know, Mord, you didn't have that many nice things to say about it, but I was pleased to see that, you know, among the Faithless Faithful, there's enough people who played that Fever Visions standard deck that were like, this is this is the card. I mean, that card, Fever, Fever Visions is so sweet. Did you ever play this card, Anthony? I've seen it played in, I think, the Owl lists, right? Is that what they were played in? Yeah. The Natsuki, yeah. like, boomerang lists have just filled their hand up, and then it's, you know... I haven't messed with it too much. I think I gazed at it once. It piqued my interest, and I said, never mind. But it is a cool card. It's one of those rare Howling Minds that, like, yeah. triggers for you first. Um, and it also provides, like, a little win condition because of the two damage a turn. Such a sweet card. I would not recommend playing it against a deck full of, like, solitudes and force negations and stuff. You can't get me to play... You can never get me to play Bad Dictate of Crowfix. I mean, you can if it wins the vote, but that's the only way. So Pyre and Fever Visions came in tied for fifth. In third and fourth place, another tie between Marionette Master and Necrotic Ooze. And this was a devastating result for me because it looked for a while like Necrotic Ooze might actually pull it out. And this is one of David's absolute favorite cards. I know he was rooting for it, I was rooting for it, but in the end, I had to settle for third place for Necrotic Ooze. Marionette Master making it to top four was outstanding for me. It's such a cool card. I mean, it has so much potential. And I think, you know, we, we talked about some of the different play patterns it has. 
obviously being a six drop, I don't know how you get it in play. That would be like the, the question to solve, but I'm impressed by how much it can do, and I'm glad that at least a good chunk of the electorate agreed. Which brings us to our top two. In second place, Vivian's Arcbow. Moored like the Pied Piper. Just I, I don't know what you did. You just convinced everyone to vote for this terrible, terrible card. This is not a bad card. Are you sure you read the card correctly, Dan? Yes, it's like unexpected results with extra steps. You have to pay mana every turn, you get a random creature out of the top of the deck, maybe, or you just whiff. That's like saying Collected Company is you bad You don't get card advantage. You just said Collected Company is a bad unexpected results. Oh, please. Anthony, help me out here. <laughs> uh, unexpected results is great. Um... No, that's not the take! Vivian's Arcbow doesn't do anything. It literally does nothing. It gives you instant speed and control with creatures that transform your top deck lands into, into gas. I think the card has potential. I think you have to build it like really specific. Like in a deck that you want to be putting creatures on the field, you don't want to just keep them in your hands, I guess, unless they're extra mana dorks that you don't need. Later in the game, those can be turned into more mana dorks. You don't need to discard creatures, you can discard lands. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it just all depends, I don't know, like in the early stages of those decks, I think the card's cool and it, it could be good, but the early stages of those decks, like, you want to go land drop creature, land drop creature creature, or something like that, unless it's like some weird combo-y deck, I don't know. I can't believe I'm being outgunned in unexpected results is better than Vivian Sarkbow. The disrespect in this call. I mean, you led a huge number of voters astray with Vivian Sarkbow. No! I turned them to the light. I showed them the way. And you and faithful heretics tried to turn them into unexpected results. Which got less votes than Painter's Servant and Death Cloud. Well, I've been informed by David that he's interested in Arcbow for Pioneer. And much like we did last month, some of the runner-up cards should get a little time in the spotlight. So we have a Vivian's Arcbow week in our future. But just a week. Just one week. That is not the winning card. The winning card, which will be our dedicated brew around for the month, is Resurgent Belief. Surprise winner, I think, but this is such a sweet card. I expected it to get like a decent top, but was quite shocked at seeing it win, like it was completely out of left field. So Resurgent Belief is the uh, no mana cost suspend white spell from, uh, I believe it's MH2, right? When it resolves, when it comes off suspend, it casts Replenish. It returns all enchantments from your graveyard to the battlefield. Awesome to see such a classic effect in a somewhat playable modern implementation, but this card has not been solved yet. Anthony, I know this is a card you've worked on in the past. Yeah, I, I've messed around with it. I actually saw the list I sent you was, I kind of got a little inspiration from one of those uh, small Japanese tournaments, which hmm. honestly, if I could just play in all day, I would I would be so happy because those... those <laughs> whoever's playing those decks over there just has a great time um but i thought it would always fit well with the as foretold electro balance shell okay you know with access to like faithful mending now you could splash white to bin you know cruel realities colossal sky turtles and all that stuff into the graveyard and then you know turn three you just reanimate a bunch of stuff that should probably either block them out or you know kill them right there does anyone understand the art of resurgent belief? What am I looking at? The art on resurgent belief. 
It seems like a mirror showing the two entities that are made in stone on the sides, but it doesn't look like a mirror, it looks like a window. Okay, so that's like Thassa, God of the Sea, and Mogus, maybe? Yeah, those are Mogus and Thassa, and they're also etched on the stones by their sides. My question is, what am I looking at? A window, a horizontal well, or just a weird mirror? I'm imagining something like uh, you're in like a temple, right? Where you have like a stone frieze of the gods, ancient gods, but then somehow this, I guess it's a window. It's got to be a window, right? Like a magic window. The first thing up. I thought of without, when I didn't notice the stones, like the, that looks like columns with engravings was like, okay, I'm looking like a turn. I'm looking from above to below and I'm looking like at an urn of water. But then there's like these columns on the side. So I'm like, wait, is that like a wall urn? Is this holding water vertically? <laughs> I think what it's meant is to show like a window to those gods because it's basically saying no god on Theros ever truly dies as long as there's people who have faith in them. So it's like for people that have faith in, you know, Thassa and Mogus and stuff like that, they could still see them. But for the people that don't, they're probably not there. But so you're saying window though, a window. Yeah, yeah, w- yeah, something. All right, the questions multiply for Resurgent Belief. Well, we're not going to solve all that today. Uh, We're going to take our first bite at Resurgent Belief in the next episode, which should come out on Monday. Yes. So we can all look forward to that. And with that being said, we can get into it for today, because Anthony, you have been brewing up a storm, you've been rattling off five O's, and you've been sending Mords and I some crazy lists. So people, before Anthony starts, remember, what you're seeing is the best of Anthony. You don't want to see the worst of Anthony. We have, so the normal populace of this beautiful world doesn't have to. Yeah, um, it's probably good for the rest of the uh, magic community to not see some of the lists that I try to create. But yeah, I mean, I just have been having some success with some, you know, whether it's tweak decks that I brewed a while ago and, you know, maybe some new cards came to fruition and started adding them in. But, you know, the first one that actually got some traction today is what I call Yognoda. Oh my god. <laughs> Did you say Yognoda? Yognoda or Winaga, whichever you guys like the best. It's basically a combination of, you know, the core of Yogmoth with the value addition that is Winoda. And I actually think it's going to be the new Yawgmoth. It's going to take, I think if people tweak it and play it, it's going to be better than traditional green-black Yawgmoth. I'm confident in that. What? Yeah, yeah. You buy your Winotas now. Hot off the market. All right, so we talk about Pioneer a fair bit on this podcast. So I think most of our listeners are, are familiar with how in Pioneer, if you've built your deck around Winota, it's great. As soon as you cast it, yeah. if you get to combat, you know, you're bringing in what like tovalar's hunt masters and that kind of thing but you're saying that i can find the same ratio of creatures humans and non-humans including payoff creatures with a human type line in a yogmoth deck yeah you have to take yogmoth as a payoff yes you're not really a yogmoth deck but you're also not really a winota deck i look at like winota is like the gasoline for the deck where you could just curve out and just slam winota and just go nuts on turn three or whatever. And then like you get the addition of Yawgmoth that is a hit off Winota that can simply turn your, you know, your birds and stuff into, you know, drawing to keep refueling or just to combo your dead. 
I think it's 12 and three in leagues today so far. So, you know, three leagues, wow. 12 and three beating, you know, smoking Merktide shadow because, you know, you're not really, you don't have like the kind of dummy draws like wall of roots and stuff like that. Instead, those are replaced by voice of resurgence, which is a lot better in those matchups just because it's a two for one. Those matchups that want to play on your turn, it punishes them. I'm, I'm super high on voice of resurgence right now. Uh, I think it's also just fine against any four color pile because, you know, yeah, they have prismatic endings, but still it's, it's still not great for them to see because then it makes, you know, if they don't have an answer for it that turn, you could try to combo the same turn and then they have to think, oh, do I give you an elemental token to stop you that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm super high on the list. I think it can be tweaked a bit more. The mana base is probably a little bit shaky, but it's been great. So walk me through exactly what's in this list and what's not. Because if I hear Yogmoth, I might like draw some assumptions about exactly which cards are in here. But you've actually changed uh, not quite half of the main deck slots, but maybe like a third of them. Yeah, so you have the eight dorks with four birds and four ignobles to kind of, you know, you, you're playing a bunch of threes and four drops. You want to ramp out into those, uh, like Yogmoth, I think, plays eight as well, plus four, you know, four wall of roots. We're playing the eight undying creatures with the Strangler Root Guys and the Young Wolves, again, similar to Yogmoth. And then where it kind of starts to get funky is after those 16 cards, then you get in the four Voice of Resurgence, which is essentially taking the plates of what would be Wall of Roots in this deck. It gives you, like as we just discussed, kind of a different angle of attack where a lot of decks can, you know, they can ignore Wall of Roots. Some decks have to move Voice you know, remove voice as soon as possible. It's also a non-human. It's just a great value card. And it also goes great with the Ogmoth. You know, you sacrifice, you get a 5-5 five, five or a 6-6 six, six back. That's pretty good. We're playing one Zulaport Cutthroat. Obviously, Blood Artist is better in normal Yogmoth. Uh, the fact that Zulaport is a human means it can be hit off Winota, which means you can combo while you're attacking. You know, you can hit if you're missing Yogmoth and Zulaport, you could potentially hit them off Winona triggers, you know, later in the game. Um, again, as we get a little spicier down, we got Brutal Cathar, which is essentially like a banishing priest effect, but it's got a bit of upside with, you know, night daybound, nightbound, which is the dumbest mechanic of all time. Um, so it's just a good value card. It's a human. You can hit off uh, Winona, which, you know, is just a removal spell in combat, which is great. So we're playing three of those and then two of Season Pyromancer, which most people know what it does. It's just, again, it provides some tokens, good with Winona, good with Yogg, you know, refuels you a bit. I could see playing a third one over, you know, maybe a Brutal Cathar, but that's probably the only change. Well, let me let me stop you for a second here. So the cards you've named so far cost green, oh yeah, green, green, <laughs> green, white. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, we're kind of like black green Yogmoth splashing into white. So you got the brutal Cathar. Yeah. So you, now we're actually more more like a base green white. You're saying you got some seasoned pyromancers in there, one red red, mm -hmm. and you're also playing Yogmoths, two yeah. black black. I'm gonna blame Triumphs for the things they have brought up on this world. <laughs> I mean, I, like Triumphs probably shouldn't even be in this list. I'm playing two of them because you don't really want lands that enter tapped, but they're fine if you're you know like playing land go. Yeah, you're playing double green, green white, double red, red white, double black. The dorks obviously help, but obviously, you know, how many matchups can you, you know, cross your fingers that your dorks are surviving in? Probably not that many. 
but it hasn't been too much of an issue. It's a little painful, um, but you generally get by unless you get like you get stuck on a two lander and you're relying on your dorks or something like that, which you're probably not going to win the game anyway. Yeah, fair point. Um, all right, so two season pyromancers, three brutal cathars. Yeah, I could see switching them. It's just you know having double red that early sometimes is difficult. Where later in the game it's much more reliable. You're going to have more lands, blah blah blah, to cast. But Brutal Cathar, just, I, I've always been impressed with it. You know, a hit being off Winona and just a removal spell in combat messes up combat math a lot. And then we have a 3-3 split of Winona and Yawgmoth. Again, we're not really forced into one style of deck. We're kind of just like the happy medium that I think is what makes this deck good is that it can beat you in the face with a Winona that if you don't have a removal spell for it and if you know you get one or two triggers off of it that probably just swings the game too far for most mid-rangey aggro decks and then you have the ability to just be like oh i'm going to play some undying creatures play yawgmoth and generate so much card advantage that you can't keep up and then you're just too far behind it's, it's just been feeling really good we're playing two grist and then four uh eldritch evolution you know we have nine two drops uh eight of them are good to sack the strangler roots and the voices that can go find whether it's winona on turn three or yog whatever's needed in the situations which is what is also great that sometimes yog is not going to win you the game on turn three a lot of times but winona will not that it will on the spot but it will generate that advantage that the next turn instead of it being even you're like 70 60 percent ahead of than what you were before um, and then we just have random hate bear cards of the sideboard, Collector Oof, Dranith, Scavenging Goose, some Endurances, Sanctum Prelates, which is, I think, a really, really underplayed card. And then Force of Vigor for Hammer, a Linvala, which, again, great card in the mirror if you're trying to, if you're playing against Jogmoth, they are, they're really only out to it as Grist. I swear, and if I ever play Yon, sorry, how was that? Yonoda? Yognoda. Yognoda. If I ever play Yonoda and I face the Yognoda mirror, I'm going to call you personally. I'm going to slap your ass. You hear that? So, yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, so the deck is like, a, the sideboard is just a bunch of tutors uh, for variety combo decks because this deck really does beat up on like a Merc Tide or a Shadow. It's got a lot of cards that are two for ones. They all just want to one for one you to death and ride, you know, with a big threat. Voice is devastating against them. If I'm playing Murta and everybody goes like turn two boys, turn three boys, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, Shadow can't like, because Shadow really is, they're only flying threats Ledger Shredder, and it's not going to like clock you that fast. They just get stalled by Voice of Resurgence tokens and just the card in general, because like they have to tap out on their turn to kill it, or they need their mana up for a big spell. It just makes you know decisions so much harder, which is why I think the card's still underplayed to this day, but there's not many green-white shells for it to go in. So we've lost some of the tutors. We don't no longer have Court of Calling, and we no longer have like quite as many toolbox targets although you did manage to keep the zeal report cut through it for the yogmoth combo that way yeah so if you look at yogmoth they play eight tutors right four cord four evos and four yog so they're essentially playing 12 copies of yog um that math is correct in their list and obviously we're only playing edric evolution three yogmoth so that's only seven verse 12 but if you add in three winona to that that's 10 verse 12 which is pretty close to having, you know, the same number of cards because each of them are good by themselves and they're good with everything else going on. So you can look at them as the same tutorable card in a way, just different scenarios, but we have essentially 10 copies. 
which is a little less than, than, than Yogg, so you lose the, a small smidge of consistency. But what you gain by playing Winota is you don't fold as easily to like a rest in peace. You don't have to find an answer to graveyard hate to combo. You could just be like, okay, like you're going to play rest in peace. I'm going to search up Winona and just bash and get all these triggers. And, you know, my board's much better now. Enjoy your, your unlicensed hearse or your recipes. I, guess, I played against Murktide and they had an unlicensed hearse the whole game and I didn't even notice it. And I still had Yawgmoth on the field doing things. Like it just didn't matter. Like Winona applied so much pressure, they let you know they they didn't kill it right away. I think I got one combat in, and it just changed the whole game. So I want to ask about two card choices. The first one because it's not as relevant. Why Sanctum Prelate? For obviously the it's good against combo matchups. It's good against like Belcher randomly. A wide variety of use against Belcher, and I actually also boarded in against Murktide because their only removal. Is really on one. So if you just lock them out of bolts and unholy heats, you're basically just free. Okay. You don't have to worry about combat math at all. And it being a hit off Winona is really like cheeky that like you can attack, you know, trigger and then like they can't respond. And you just put it on one and then you just strand a decent amount of cards in their hand. So I, I, I've been pretty impressed with that. Okay. And secondly, Brutal Gathar on the main deck. Look at it as like a, a Skyclave Apparition type of effect, but you can haste it into play with Winota. Is it being a Winota hit that much better for playing a much worse card? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. I've messed around with like just Naya Winona builds before, and I went from playing like two Brutal Cathar, realizing I'm like, oh, this is not bad, to three, to four, and I'm like, oh my, I'm like... Give me all the Brutal Cathars. Yeah, it, it looks underwhelming because, oh, they're going to kill it. They get their creature back and all that stuff. But like, the more you play with it, the more impressed I think uh, you would see it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Brulee Cathar in Pioneer is one of the two cards that just put Winota over the top. Before, you know, they would resolve Winota and trigger it a few times on their best draws and then get a big battlefield. But you could still just flip your thing on the ice and kill them the next turn. And Brutal Cathar is just like so punishing. It also answers Murktide. Okay. Which, you know, Skyclave can't do. You know, we're not playing removal spells. Like, we have essentially five ways to remove a Murktide with Grist and Brutal Cathar. And I'm not counting Yawgmoth, obviously. Hmm. All right, good. Yeah, I would say you're like a little light on humans for Winona to hit, but I guess if what you're hitting is something that's so important to the plan. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have, you know, too many. We have four, you know, less, I think we have less than 10. It's a bit more than 10 because we know that hits itself as an attacker. That's true, so it's not, yeah. So it's, I think it was 13. I was doing the math a few minutes ago. You're looking at the top six, so your odds aren't, like, horrible to find one. And really, all you need is, like, one or two triggers off Winota, and you're going to hit, like, all the humans are good. Like, Brutal Cathar is a removal spell. Um, season Pyromancer is drawing you more cards. You hit Yawgmoth, you're probably not losing. I think earlier on turn three, I had Winona and Yawgmoth out versus their like nothing against Shadow, because like I just you know shot my board down to kill you know their DRCs or whatever, and it was just like like how are they going to come back from that? So yeah, it's you don't have as many human hits as most Winona builds do, but we also like a lot of Winona builds. They have to play those you know, five, six mana humans that generate a lot of value. And sometimes like they just stink in your hand. 
The deck's not playing any of those. It's not playing like the big haymaker humans, like Geist Honored Monk, I think is the five mana one. Mm-hmm. Your hits are that are all powerful are also you know castable. They're four CMCs. They can be tutored by evolution and all that stuff. So they're not as not as dead if you have them in your hand, obviously. No, I was gonna say the odds of hitting are less than eighty percent. So one in five without a trigger is a miss, which is quite a high number. And just going up to sixteen hits would lessen that to like almost to eighty seven percent. So it's like closer to one in ten. So I still think that's fine. Again, you're not looking to like go bonkers with Winona like Winona does in Pioneer. You're just no, looking no, to get like one or two activations in, and that's like just such a good value card for what you're trying to do, which is like just overwhelm them on board and then be like, oh, I can just combo kill you with Yogmoth, or I have too big of a board presence now. I'm just gonna crack back next turn. I think the biggest problem is like once you attack with two creatures, you're pretty like every two attacks with two creatures, you're missing one trigger. Like you're only getting one resolving, which is a reasonably low number of misses. Like only adding two, three humans would change that. I'm just wondering, are there any humans that could fit in the deck? Yeah, that's interesting. I've looked at Yogmoth's, you know, Yogmoth and Winona list to see like there's some like okay ones. I'm just not sure what you can cut. You can get Hapatra in there if you want. Well, Hapatra is a human and would help. Like, I wouldn't cut any of the... Like, you can't cut the Geist Wolves. You know, the Dorks are probably the voices. And then the rest of your cards are humans. Like, you could cut, like, a Grist yeah. for, like, you know, another human, like another Season Pyro or another Valley human, like maybe a Renegade Rallyer or something like that. Yeah, it's just adding two or three... Like, every human you add increases the percentage by, like, 3-4%, which is yeah. a pretty reasonable difference. Yeah, if you start to notice it, you could probably shave a grist or, you know, if, if you're not all, you know a big fan of grist. I do love that somehow this is one of the few combo decks in between quotes that post-cyborg has a higher hit chance. Yes, yeah, you're, all your sideboard <laughs> hits, all um, humans. Besides, besides Endurance and Linvala are humans and oof, I guess. So you do, you're, you are bringing in more hits, which is good because if you're, you know, you just slam a Winona early against a yeah. combo deck, you can dig a lot harder for your prelates and stuff like that. I feel like this is a solvable problem. Like I, I do agree with more that I would like to get like fourteen humans. I think fifteen, which leads you up to eighty-five, is the golden number because we're at seventy-eight, which means every two attacks with two creatures we're missing one, and that piles up fast. Yeah, the only I, I I do think the only cards you could probably cut are Grist, unless you want to go to twenty-one lands. What if I cut like one Ignoble Hierarch, two Eldritch Evolution, one Grist? What if I go insane and, and I cut Eldritch Evolution and just go for you for Winora, for Yogmoth, for Season Pyro? Yeah, exactly. That's not terrible. E- evolution just giving you like extra copy. Obviously, if you're adding the fourth Winona and fourth Yog, it would probably be worth testing. I'll say that. That's the only change I could propose to the deck if I were ahead and just played for a league. But besides that, I like the idea. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to spot when your when your leg lists are actually good ideas. Like at the first glance, you can tell this has legs or this is insanity. A little of both, usually. This one I can't tell, but I'm encouraged by the early results. So we're, we'll have a link to this version we're describing. We'll put that in the episode description. This one is not published yet. No, we, there's uh, all the we've had three leagues with it. They've all been four ones. So it's, we're just keeping the tech secret until you guys listen to it. Then you guys can all hop <laughs> okay. on. All right. 
All right, so that is Winota Yogmoth or Yognota. Winogmoth, yeah, whatever you guys, you know. Okay. I think Yognota has been the best name, but I'm incapable of pronouncing Winota. I just go Winota. So I really struggle with that name. Yognota. Yognota. Let's shift gears. So looking through some of your recent results, I'm seeing some of crazy 5-0s here. And this, this one here... <laughs> Ulamog's Nullifier. Yes. Great card. Four copies of Ulamog's Nullifier. This card was not even good in draft, and yet here it is in modern. Four of, and you 5-0 with this deck. Anthony, what is going on in this deck? This is nuts. Yeah, so I brewed this in like 2021, the first version of it. Kitesail Freebooters, there was no Valkyries or anything like that. And I'm like, man, this is really cool. Got really cool synergy going on. I left it alone for a bit, and then you know, fast forward to today, we have a bunch of kind of interesting twists to it that we we're playing. So there was a middle version, which was the yeah. Esper one. We were playing together an Esper version that was with Balky and Tight Hollow, but no combo. And I think that was yeah. the brilliant idea that cracked it open. Yeah. So the core of the deck is sixteen. Like we we're playing twenty-two creatures, but the actual core is sixteen of them. We're playing four Valky God of Lies, which is also Tybalt Cosmic Imposter, which everybody knows from the Cascade Tybalt days, is if you get it out on turn three on an empty board, it's pretty miserable. You're drawing two cards a turn, seven loyalty right away. It's just a, it's a messed up card. If you could cheat it into play. By itself, it's fine, but seven mana, you could probably be doing something more powerful. Four Wasteland Stranglers, which have the process ability, which you could put a card from your opponent's exile into their graveyard, and then it gets Minus three, minus three. Four Thought Not Seer, classic Eldrazi staple. Good card to curve out into, provides pressure. And, and then the uh, Ulamog's Nullifier, which might be the best card in modern to date. Yes, I'm talking to you, Ragavan and Renan Six. It's a direct <laughs> shot at you guys. Um, it actually is so good. You know why? Because it cannot be hit. By force negation, it cannot be hit by mystical dispute. So for all you cascade players out there trying to counter, oh my god, it just avoids everything. My Ulamog's nullifier, you got another thing coming. Um, yeah, dodges veil of summer. Dodges well. veil of summer. It's just a broken <laughs> card that you know. It's just it's a shame it's been kept in the dark this long. And we're playing twelve, uh, what I call delayed removal spells. Can I just say that? What you've described so far makes sense, right? Like, you have the processor creatures. Creatures, plural, let's just yeah. generously say that Ulobox Nullifier is playable. Wasteland Strangler, Ulobox Nullifier. It's the best card in the deck. Cards that put <laughs> opponent stuff into exile. Valky and Thought Nazir. So, like, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Like, I thought that was what the rest of the deck was going to be, but I feel like from here, the deck goes totally in an unexpected direction. But even when you're saying that, like Valky, Thought Not Seer, like those cards aren't generally powerful in today's modern worlds of, no, no. you know, Monkey, Ren and Six, Solitudes, Omnaths, Furies. Like it's just so, you know, like most of the time when somebody plays the Thought Not Seer against me, I'm like, I'm like, whatever. When your opponent goes Natural Tron and you're like, please no card, please no card. And they go Thought Not Seer or near like, oh, it's bad Tron. Yeah, you're like, thank goodness. You're like, okay, I can... <laughs> It's very beatable, especially in the world of unholy heat. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not as great, but you know, the deck as a whole synergizes really well. So we play these twelve. I want to call them like delayed removal spells, or just kind of like 
I you could call them timeout spells. We were just saying, hey, give me a second. You know, like hold hold tight. So you're playing four suspend, which just is a you know, exile a creature and put two suspend counters on it, which can buy you two turns. Four delay, which does the same thing as a suspend, but as a counter target spell, they get three suspend counters. And then four release to the winds, which can exile a not any non-land permanent. And then for as long as it remains isled, you could cast it without paying its mana cost. So those cards aren't necessarily good uh, by themselves, but with this deck, they provide a lot of interesting synergies. Um, the delay and suspend combo with the processors, like sometimes there's been matches where I've gone like on the draw, suspend your one drop, they play a two drop, you know, with Eldrazi Temple, I play Wasteland Strangler, kill their two drop, and then that just feels really good. You're like, okay, like, you know, I'm pretty ahead right there, you know, just took out their one and two drop. I have a creature on board now as well. Um, with the Ulamog's Nullifier, you're, you know, you can suspend a creature. Maybe they have a card in exile already from a previous spell, and then you can nullify the spell that's delayed with the counters on it, put it into the graveyard, and counter their spell. So, you, you know, and you have a creature on board, so it's another two for one. We were playing against Amulet, and we had suspended a Titan, and we were like, Please cast a spell. Please cast a spell because we had Ulamog nullifier and that Titan was about to come off suspend. And we were like, cast something. Cast something. Put something yeah. in the stack. We need to get that Titan into the graveyard. The best I've done with Ulamog's nullifier is I played against Rhinos. They had two crashing footballs suspended. Like, you know, they, they paid the mana for them and then they cast a Cascade card. So I played Ulamog's nullifier. I put the two suspended crashing footballs into the graveyard and counter their last crashing footballs. Oh it was like a gosh. four for one. It's like a 12 <laughs> for one. If you count the creatures that would have came down, it was like a thing of like, that should be hung in the magic, you know, hall of fame. I feel like. Oh my God. So we're playing those like weird delaying cards that, you know, you basically want to say timeout, you know, play these another time. I can't deal with those right now. We're playing four relic in the main board to put cards in exile and it you know right now it's a pretty solid card it messes with ren and six it messes with living and any deck that you know drc it's just really annoying for some decks that don't aren't necessarily graveyard decks you know like a living end but like a merc tide a yogmoth you know those type of decks it can really slow them down and then we kind of get into our combo our backup combo plan with three oracle and three inverter of truths which is kind of what put the deck kind of over the top because we'd stall the game a lot with those 16 initial cards but then we wouldn't be able to finish like four color would gain back their advantage you know merc tide would find a merc tide and we weren't able to close the game fast enough so the inverter oracle package gives us a oops you know i won you know sorry um after we just messed with them maybe they climb back a bit it's like oh i'm just gonna kill you right now and there's not many things that can really affect that combo and we get to play cavern of souls to make it uncounterable against control decks and we play relic that we can keep our graveyard clear in case we need to kill them in one turn you also get the cool synergy of playing athasa's oracle early like on turn two casting release to the wind to keep it in exile and then cast inverter of truth exile deck cast thassa's oracle for free so you can kill them essentially on turn four doing that by going turn two oracle turn three release turn four inverter the deck also has some really cool lines for example i remember when we were playing against the, the titan player we went like 
we have Ashok on the sideboard, we had Relic in play, and we were like, okay, so we Ashok ourselves, and if we mill it as a Zoracle, we start tapping the Relic so, so we exile all our graveyard, but that's a Zoracle. And then it was like turn 8, we went like, Inverter, shuffle only Thassa's Oracle into our deck, crack the Relic, draw the Thassa's, play the Thassa's Oracle. And we had never drawn one naturally, but we milled one with Ashiok. Yeah. The deck has a zillion fun lines to it. That's why I enjoyed playing it so much. And if you like these kind of creature-y, control-y decks, which is what this really is, then I, I think this is a deck that you know people should give a try. So my question was going to be, like, if Thassa's Oracle and Inverter of Truth are your combo package, you're only playing three copies of each, and you're not tutoring for them or anything like that. There's not even any cards draw on this deck. But you're saying that because you end up being in like controlling kind of role, that you know, this is a thing that will just like come up in some games as the game drags on. Yeah. You're not really winning the game fast with this deck. Even like your turn two thought not seer draws, you're still not gonna be curving out then into reality smasher. So you're not winning the game, you know, fast. You're going to see a bit more cards, whether it's with Relic or a Valky that you flipped the Tibalt and all that stuff. So, you know, Inverter is kind of clunky. If you have them early in your opener, you really don't want to see it. You just want, you know, the suspends, the delays effects, the Wasteland Stranglers. So I, I kind of, I had six slots available and I said, well, I'll just throw three of each in and it's been pretty good. And, you know, again, you can play Oracle early with this deck. You could probably find room for a fourth oracle because you could play it early with the suspend and release to the wind effects to kind of like recast it again later, which is what, you know, some other oracle decks can't do. Once they cast it, they're kind of relying on it, either hitting the graveyard to get shuffled back in with inverter or just casting it from their hand once they combo. So you can kind of play it a little bit differently. Plus it blocks Ragaban. <laughs> it looks Ragaban. <laughs> My hatred for the monkey will go strong. I mean, there's so many like cute interactions that you outlined. Just to recap, we're, we're looking at processing stuff. That's like the main thing. Yeah, the, the main idea is to, to process, right? You're playing, that's what you want to be doing with, they're, they're basically two for ones because you get a creature out of it and you hope to you know, leave them with nothing. So the stranglers and the nullifiers. And then you also have like the cheap Valky plan of, because Valky works where if he comes off suspend or you cast him from exile, you can just cast the other half of them, the Tibalt, the, the Planeswalker side. So you can go turn two Valky, you see if the coast is clear, next turn land, release to the wind, Valky goes into exile, that same turn, so still on your turn three, you just cast him as Tibalt. So you have a turn three Tibalt, which, you know, maybe you just, you know, suspended their creature the turn on turn one or turn two or whatever. And you have a seven mana planeswalker, that's a pretty good deal. You can also do it with suspend. You can like play them next end step on your opponent's end step, suspend them again, then two turns later you're gonna get a you're gonna get a chance to cast Tibalt. Which again gives you like another weird angle of attack for like control decks that's like, oh, they have to respect the two one. That may not do anything against them on the front side, but they can't like tap out because then they're just gonna have to deal with Valky, which a control deck, like a blue-white control deck, probably can't beat a Tibalt. I assume outside of like Teferi tucking it, but at that point maybe you've drawn you know four or five extra cards. That's usually pretty good enough to find a win. So release to the win is the worst card in this deck. Yes, and I'm gonna explain what it does because I'm sure a lot of people never even seen it. It's a three mana instant that says exile target non land permanent. For as long as it remains in exile, the owner of that card may pay, may cast it without paying its mana cost. 
So A, it respects time restrictions, and B, it gets it for free. So this card has two uses in this deck. As Ancha said, it's an amazing way to flip Tibalt, as to say that. And B, you can just play this on your opponent's end step, exile any non-land permanent, and tap, play a Wasteland Strangler, and process the, the thing you just exiled. Because your opponent cannot cast it as long as it's not their main phase, if it's a permanent. Yeah, and um, another cool thing to do with release is to release to the wind your own Ulamog's Nullifier. Because it has flash, if you can do it on their turn, you can flash it back in and counter a spell that you needed to counter. Like it, it almost acts as like, you know, a 50% counter spell if you have a nullifier already on the field and there's already two cards in exile, which most of the time there is with relics and so on and so forth. We should mention that you're playing for Eldrazi Temple, which mm -hmm. is one of the most busted cards that currently sees no play whatsoever. That casts your Thought Not Seers, your Ulamog's Nullifiers, your Wasteland Strangler, and your Inverter of Truth. Yeah, ahead of, ahead of Curve sometimes. If Ulamog Nullifier was 3 mana, it would be a playable card. What do you mean it's playable? I'm playing 4 of them. And, and, and I love you. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, let me ask you a related question, right? Because every time like David and I have kicked around this package, you know, Valky release yeah. and related cards... We assume that you have to play white, right? Because, like, how could you play Suspend and Delay without Teferi yes. Time Raveler in your deck? Or without, like, Spell Queller if you're going to go in, the, like, a full package there? Have you considered the white splash? I have. I've messed around with both the white splash with Eldrazi Temple and without it. The white splash I tried with Solitude and Ephemerate, and it didn't have the Nullifiers. It didn't have the Thought Not Seers. And I really think Nullifiers, like, in this shell, is really good. Especially because of Eldrazi Temple, which it's just way too hard to play once you start playing three colors. Because then you're essentially playing four colors without any fixing. Because you got to look at colorless as a, you know, a way to cast some of these cards ahead of curve, which is what you want to be doing. Like, a four-mana Ulamog's Nullifier sometimes isn't that good. A three-mana one can be really, really good. And as you get later in the game, then you want to start, you have multiple temples out. You can start really, you know, doing some cool stuff. But yeah, the, the white was, I felt like it was like distracting and we weren't winning fast enough. Like we'd solitude ephemerate, we tied hollowed scholar, skyclaves, we do the Valky thing, but like we didn't really clock them. This deck has the ability to like turn two thought not seer or you know, the inverter combo, which I think is what the, you know, the deck needs is like that fast, oops, I win. And Thought Not Seer as well is just a busted card. Still, even though it dies to a zillion things, it's still a busted card. I mean, you got the 5-0. Yeah, I mean, listen, do I think it is like a meta-breaking deck? No. It has a terrible Merktide matchup. I mean, I will concede to a Steam Vents turn one monkey game <laughs> one if my hand doesn't look relatively good. For what you know, Merktide is doing, but it's really good against the Cascade decks. Like really, really good. It's got a good Yogmoth matchup. It's got a good four color matchup because you get to play a combo with some protection, which four color struggles with sometimes. I think I was like three and one against four color, four and one in some leagues against it. So if, if you have a lot of that in your meta and you have these cards, play it. It's a lot of fun. Your opponents will be like, "What the hell are you casting this uncommon Ulamog's Nullifier against me?" And then after the game, they'll be like, oh, that card was busted. You just want people fearing Ulamog's Nullifier. Yes, yes. The whole plan. You want to see someone playing around it. Absolutely. 
So that's a Demir Processors deck, which you can find in the 5.0s from early August. Another deck you've been having some great success with uses Braid's Cabal Minion. I think you posted two trophies with this list. Yeah, I back-to-back 5.0'd with it. And um, really cool is that Saffron Olive from MTG Goldfish took it for a spin. And he actually went 4-1 with it. He lost a Calibrated Blast, which is an unwinnable matchup. But um, he beat all the top-tier decks. Merc Tide, 4-Color, I'm pretty sure. Amulet, I don't know what he uh, what else he played against, but he, he had a competitive run against all tiered modern decks. Um, the deck is at its core, black, white, smallpox, you know, core for smallpox, Liliana's lingering souls, which is still a good card in this meta, but people don't play it. I will fight people on that. <laughs> you know why? Cause it blocks Ragavan multiple times. I'll keep throwing jabs at Ragavan as long as I can. Until it gets banned, hopefully. <laughs> I don't remember when Antia sent me a list of four-color control, which was greenless control, and I was like, yeah, but you're not playing Brennan 6. And his response was a gift that said literally, let me find it. I play this game with integrity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so you're playing the removal spells of Fatal Push, Prismatic Endings, and then you kind of get a little bit weird with it. I'm playing four Vindicates. I feel like Smallpox wants to just be like this ultra mana denial deck. And even though that's tough right now with Renin 6 and Ragavan cheating on mana and, you know, these big mana decks, I still feel like what the deck wants to be doing is like discard or remove your turn one play, smallpox vindicate, and then you just outvalue them with like a, you stick a walker or you discard one of the lingering souls and they just, a lot of decks can't recover from that. So you're playing four Vindicates, which is also just a fine card. It answers Murktide, it answers Planeswalkers, which this deck, these type of decks generally had a tough time doing. Is, you know, you'd play your Liliana, they'd play their Jace, and you'd be like, well, I can't win. They have four answers, you know, eight actually, if you count Prismatic Innings, the different types of Walkers now. And then we get into the Planeswalker package. We're playing three Lilies, which is pretty standard for these lists. Some play four. And then we have the a slight green splash for two Grists, which is just a great value card to stall your opponent and then one soren the mirthless which i'm crazy high on one because i think it's a good card two because it has the best art on a card for the alternate showcase art i think it's just the best one it's not even close is that the is that the one i was threading the the Geralt one or the other he's got like the white hair and like the only thing that's colored is like the red it's like the showcase oh, yeah, art yeah. or something i know, I know. Is just I, yeah i know exactly which one the thing of thing of beauty and then the creature count, we're playing four blood gas, which is good with our discard our own card stuff, get it back, generate some annoying value. And then the final best card in the deck actually is Braids, uh, Cabal Minion, which came out in the Odyssey, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. It reads at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices an artifact, creature, or land. And it's a 2 2 for a four mana. So it dies to every removal spell Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt, Unholy Heat, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I'm not playing four of them because they're clunky in your openers. You only really want to see them probably by turn five or turn six as you start to grind some advantage out. And you have a lot of things that like you don't mind sacking blood gas. You don't mind sacking a lingering souls token. You're playing four flagstones of trocare so you could sack that, get your land back. And you know, you're playing a lot of cards that just go well with braids, grist, making a one one every turn. Oh, I'm just going to sack the braids and keep my lands and everything else going on while you're sacking your lands, your creatures. That that's just a free removal spell. You know, I, people 
asked me like, oh, do you keep it in versus hammer? Because hammer floods the board, right? They're going to play their spring leaf drums. They're going to play, you know, every, you know, ornithopters. Yes. Like you keep it in against almost any deck that plays a creature because what this deck wants to do and it's perfect draw is like removal spell slash discard into smallpox, vindicate, jamma braids. They have maybe one or two lands with no creatures. You have three or four lands with a blood ghast in the graveyard, a lingering souls ready to come down. And then they, there's no deck that can come back from that. And that's what the deck is trying to do. Just squeeze, you know, them on resources and then ride out a lingering souls or two, a blood ghast or the planeswalkers to victory. Here we have a man in Namor by Braids. My only question is, is Grist worth it being the only green card in the deck? Like the splash being only for it? Is it, that much more powerful than any three-man or four-man alternative? I, I, I tried it just the black-white version, and I went to the fourth Liliana and the second Soren. And not that it was bad, um, but there were times where I'm like, you know what would be really good here is a Grist. Because it provides value every turn, giving you a 1-1, one, one, which in this deck is like probably your best threat, a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Sometimes it is. And just being able to like be a removal spell with good value with Bloodgast, I came back to the the green splash and was like, okay, like Grist is better than the red splash where you could play Obnixilis, but Grist I just found was overall better into what the deck was trying to do is generate like this incremental value. And then you just play this miserable game of magic where you're beating them down with like one lingering souls token as you're in top deck mode. We should mention that smallpox decks will almost always be accompanied by like a very specific lands package. Flagstones of Trocare is your most important land, but because that's a white land, you also need Urborg to let that cast the black-black for smallpox, and you often find the black-white filter land, yep. Fetid Heath. Now, Flagstones gets any planes, so you can just splash off a Triome. Yep. And I see you have the, uh, what, the Ignatha Triome here. Yeah, so you have... I'm only playing three hits off Flagstones, which... I think after some slight changes to these lists, I played the third Godless Shrine or something like that. But yeah, overall, Flagstones and Smallpox are, you know, match made in heaven when you can, like the ultimate goal is to just go like Urborg turn one, discard, Smallpox turn two with Flagstones, get your land back, next turn play Liliana, and they're just like, oh, I have one land and three cards in hand now. So question for you, Anthony, like these cards in this smallpox deck have been available for a while and you just don't see this style very often. What's the secret? Is it that people have just underestimated the power of spot removal? I mean, look at the, like the top decks right now. Merktide is probably top two or three. Four color is up there, obviously. And then you could throw in one of the cascade decks and, and hammer probably. Or probably in that top four. I could be missing one. You know, Yawgmoth you could throw in there and so on and so forth. I feel like one-for-one one removal isn't bad as long as it's just like pretty widespread. Like Vindicate being an answer to anything is useful in a lot of matchups. Especially if you're on the play with this deck and you have that smallpox play into like Vindicate your other land. That will just win you the game. Vindicate will always have an answer, like a hit for you. Where, you know, sometimes like some of these decks playing like one of or two of random like interesting removal spells, um, Baleful Mastery or like a one of Dam or something like that. But sometimes the board is clear, so Dam isn't doing anything, but Vindicate, you know what, blow up your land or something like that. I've just been pretty impressed with it. And I've seen other black, white, smallpox lists try like Timeless Dragons 
and stuff, which is a really good card in Legacy that's that's played. But in Modern, it just it dies to so much. So like it's really just the best part of it is that it grabs you a land. The 4-4 a lot of the times was super unimpressive to actually try to win you the game where I'd rather be recurring blood ghasts, you know, more frequently. The other assumption I had, which might not be correct, is that a smallpox strategy will, will just never beat Renin 6 or even an Urza Saga. But maybe that's not true. I mean, maybe the way you've got this set up, you can actually fight those. I think Brennan 6 is a pretty real threat, especially on the draw, but I don't think you have that much of a problem with, with Ursa Saga. No, on the play, Renin 6, yeah, on the play, Renin 6 is, you know, we have eight things on the play to get rid of a Renin 6. We have four Prismatic Ending, four Vindicate, plus we have the discard. Urza Saga is not too bad either. Because of Smallpox, you can mess them up if they go like Saga on turn two. And then you just kill mm. one of their lands and then they just don't get any artifacts, like any constructs from it, which is like, we don't care really about the search part where they're going to find the, like, we just care that they, you know, the material they can get. Yeah. to zero to one tokens and then you'll be fine. If they get to do two, depending on your board, you're probably going to be in some tough shape, but you get to play four Vindicates and four Smallpox. So, you know, unless they're like Renin sixing backers of Sagas, I, I haven't been too scared of Sagas on like against Hammer. I actually think Smallpox is great against Saga. Like, picture this, you go, your opponent goes turn one something, like, I don't know, your opponent goes turn one Esper Sentinel, you go turn one Thoughtseize, they go turn two drop, they go turn two Ursa Saga, go and use Smallpox. Either they sacrifice the Saga or they sacrifice the land. If they sacrifice the land, then there's a Saga that nets you zero constructs. Yeah, and they, they, like, a deck like Hammer, they play a lot of colorless sources. So like when they have to make that decision of do I need to keep my white to play a pure steel or do I want to keep my Urza Saga to fetch like a hammer? It's not free. It's a, a lot of good value for you. And but and like this deck actually has a good hammer matchup for a deck that like goes wide and stuff like that. Like I've had a lot of success against hammer and like I, I've watched people play this list now and you know they're boarding out Liliana's and Smallpox's versus Hammer because, oh, they go wide and stuff like that. Like, you don't ever board those cards out against any creature deck. The most boarded out card is honestly Bloodgast. But, like, the Smallpox's, the Vindicates, the Lilies, like, you just never board them out because, like, there's going to be games where you have that perfect curve of, like, discard spell, Smallpox, Vindicate, Liliana, something like that, and you just, like, mowed through all their resources and you're left, you know, so far ahead that even against Hammer, where they have the ability to go, like, land drum thopter sentinel lance you know whatever do you know and go dump their hand like an affinity deck would it's still worth it to have you know as much removal as possible as much answers as possible and where like you could shave on like the quote-unquote win cons like blood ghasts for just more hate for those matchups not gonna lie i love the deck list as per usual i'm gonna discuss the cyborg with you eventually like the double dousey one of Kaya's Kyle, one of Kaya just tilts me to no end. But that's our internal argument regarding sideboard. Yeah, I build my sideboards in five minutes. Yeah, you you completely disregard the importance of sideboards. Yeah, they're not important to me. If your main board's good, you have like a 60% chance to win anyway. Like, that, you always notice in and sideboards, they're prepared for combo. That, like, they're prepared for when it matters. You're going to see the sideboard, the, the sideboard head for combo. But when it comes to the specific, like, okay, what do you sideboard against Morgda? I don't know. Kaya seems cool. That's one. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, that's all you need. I just like having a variety of answers, you know, that are different. And I think, like, that's 
sometimes too greedy and sometimes it's just like what you need like you know kaya versus kaya's guile right they're both kind of good versus murktide but they both are a little different you know kaya acts as like this kind of removal spell and kind of threat where kaya's guile can be like a cheeky way to get a murktide and their whole graveyard out of there like in one bang and it just has a bunch of different uses containment priest is a weird card you don't see but i hate losing to creativity so there's a lot of random like one or two of answers that are a little bit differently for every type of matchup that i would kind of expect in the leagues literally on stream today i was discussing exactly that i was like i hate losing to creativity and someone was like just add three three containment priests to your sideboard you're gonna be fine yeah you know, I'm competitive. I don't like losing, but like I'll accept losing to certain decks. But there's other decks where I just like I'm like I hate losing, like because they just go like Dwarven Mind, Dwarven Mind. Oh, here's an Archon. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was miserable. It's like the same thing with Turn One Monkey. I'm like, well, if I don't have a removal spell, I'll probably just concede. Let's Contentment Priest stop something else. Uh, it stops like Vile and stuff. Like if you're playing against a Vile deck, like Merfolk or something like that, you could bring it in, but. It doesn't stop living in because it puts the cards in exile. Well, it doesn't stop living in because it's going to hit the graveyard anyway. Just having a variety of answers for a variety of different things has kind of always been my strategy. Don't play Hell of Moonlight. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) It draws you a card. Isn't that powerful? (sighs) It draws a card. I'm not even going to repeat it. It's not not worth repeating. Don't look it up. What card? Repeat the card. It's, it's containment it priest. It's it, hollowed moonlight is a one. Oh a, yeah, instant instant containment priest. Yep. Yeah, it's an instant that you know has containment priest text, and it draws you a card. Now let me explain the importance of drawing a card for you guys. I'm editing it, this out as we speak. Gives you a whole other, <laughs> It has the possibility of drawing you another hollowed moonlight. Oh my gosh! Can you picture this? You go moonlight, and then your opponent tries to come again, and you top the moonlight from your moonlight. Another Moonlight. I don't know how they're financially recovering from that either. Yeah, it's just devastating that, Dan. Come on, drawing a card. It's like the most yeah. important thing in Ancestral, Ancestral Visions is banned. The list has been great. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's super grindy if you, you know, I, I like those kind of type of grindy, like loam style decks. And this one definitely has that feel. So I'd recommend it in, the, uh, in a pretty open meta. All right. Two last topics before we close out. One... You know, you've been having success with a bunch of different stuff lately, and in the last couple months, I mean, you 5-0 with an affinity deck that was like eight casts, thought cast, thought monitor, but splashing into white for Machiko's Reign of Truth. Uh, you also had a Kethis combo deck in modern, where you you taken elements of like the now banned Kethis combo with like Kethis, Emery, Mox Amber, merge that with Underworld Breach. Yeah. grinding station um into like a multi-pronged combo assault and you five with both of those lists and we we talked about them a little bit on on this podcast you know at least as we understood them but i'm curious if you've had any follow-up thoughts on those decks um the machiko affinity list i jim davis actually took it for a spin like my exact 75 and he went 4-1 with it the only thing i'd really change is probably shaving down on the consulate dreadnoughts as they're they're pretty good with the deck but I don't think four of is probably needed. You could probably get away with paying like two or three for like maybe some Urza Saga's targets. I noticed in most Urza Saga decks I build, I only play like one actual Urza Saga target. So maybe that could be, you know, changed. 
Um, but otherwise, I think that, you know the deck's just a classic affinity beat faceless. I think Machiko's really good in affinity, and people that say it's bad haven't played with it enough. Because um, you just have plays where you go like Ornithopter, Memnite, Lands, you know, Urza Saga turn two, cast Machiko, you're attacking for like five or six, and that just that's free damage, and then the next turn it's free damage. So and then it becomes a threat, which is what affinity kind of lacks is like those big threats, and this just turns into a Urza Saga token essentially as the game as you know once it uh ticks up. So but it's a good deck, I think, you know, affinity it just has the draws that certain decks can't beat. Um especially when they start chaining thought monitors together. So as long as you have that core it's pretty good. I do think Machiko's definitely worth playing though for the Kethis deck. I really haven't I've I played with it more. I haven't made too many changes because the core is so tight. It is an extremely fun deck to play if you like those breach style decks and you want to try something just a little bit stranger fun for who fun, yeah. fun for you I assume. yeah well not only is kethis a combo card um if you're unfamiliar with the combo you have kethis grinding station out with a mox amber and previously a mox opal before it got banned and you just kind of loop them loop in your graveyard exiling legendary cards like your legendary lands or your creatures and then you mill and you float mana until you cast Jace Wielder Mysteries and you win. The one thing I was so impressed with Kethis was it won me so many games by not comboing. By just being like, you know what, I'm going to exile this Emery and you know, maybe back up Kethis and I'm going to recast a, a Teferi that's going to bounce your thing. And then I'm going to recast the Emery that you just killed. And that you just get like so much value from it against some grindy decks that I think I cast like a Teferi three times in one turn just to bounce a bunch of their stuff and then combo off. Yeah, don't forget that Kethis gives you a one-minute yes. discount on each casting. Yeah, so, you know, you can chain Hope of Gearpers together where you can, like, attack them, sack Hope of Gearper, and then bring it back. And then they can't cast non-creature spells, and you just keep doing You could just kind of, like, soft-lock them in a way out of the game by doing that, which I did to uh, one player in the league, like, in one of the games. It was pretty funny. Until I found the combo, I was able to cast it to fairy and protect it. So, is it as consistent as the typical blue red version? Probably not. Um, the blue red version gets to play Saga, attacks from a different angle with Ledger Shredder, and kind of this like B B B plus beatdown plan. This is more in on the combo, but it attacks similarly from the graveyard. But since you get to play Kethis, um, you don't need Breach to win. Kethis is essentially another version of a breach that can be, you know, as a creature, it can come back with unearth and stuff like that. So it just attacks from a little bit like another angle of the graveyard. Um, plus you get to play cool cards like Lazav and Oswald and all the legendary <laughs> lands like Manamo and Okina and Ajanos and like what's not to love. So the, the decks have been a lot of fun. I've had a Probably more success with the Kethis deck. I tried, I like rattled off like four four ones in a row with it at one point. I was running really hot with it, and then I got the five zero, and then I calmed down for a bit with it. I think the last league I took it through, I went four one. It's got a pretty good like it's got a really good living in matchup because you get to play like three Lavinias in the sideboard, and they just have, that card gives them nightmares. I think I'm like ten and three against living end or ten and two. Like I won a lot of game ones by just like chaining, like casting an Emery and milling like a Kethis. And I'm like, all right, if they reanimate, I could probably just kill them. And, you know, cards like Psy can buy you a lot of time. Like 
you're playing three Teferi's main board. You're playing a Hope of Giraper, which can cheese them out and do stupid things if they have Shardless Agents. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm like really happy with the Cascade matchups with this deck. Merktide is really close, um, especially post-sideboard. This deck loses to Blood Moon. Need to get that out of the way. Most of the decks I build lose to Blood Moon because I don't believe that's a real card. And if you cast it against me, I'm going to assume you do some black magic. Um, but so that's the worst card against us. But like we get to play three veils in the sideboard, Kira, great glass spinner. Um, again, Teferi's are really good against Merktide. So I, I Merktide, I've beat it a, a decent amount. I've also lost to it a decent amount. So it's, it's got, the deck's a lot of fun. If you like the, like the graveyard combo style of decks. You just love Richard. You just, you always loved Kithy since the start. So it was yeah, about yeah. to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I like to look at like these old school combo lists, like a Kethis and stuff like that, and be like, like how can this be revived and to be something that's competitive? Because since Mox Opal got banned, Kethis has not shown up in any results. Maybe there's a reason for that then. Yeah, I'm sure there is, but you know, people thinking that Mox Opal without Mox Opal can't be played. And I, you know, can show I showed with this that's like, hey, like you don't need, you know, this card to still be playable it's still playable you just have to build around it correctly yeah also fun fact this list is running a lot of um channel lads from kamigawa and because you're running so many legendary creatures you can get like a one or two mana otawara or takenuma pretty yeah. easily oh i've gotten one mana otawaras all the time it feels great <laughs> then it's amazing yeah I mean, this to me is like yet another example of a deck where okay the only new cards in here are the kamigawa lands which, while good, yeah. are like not crucial to the plan, no. right? So you're, you're talking about a deck that has existed for a while. Like These cards have been available this whole time. I feel like people just gave up on Kethis. Yeah. I feel like that's the same is true for most of these decks that you're presenting. Like, you, know, you're, you are the last brewer in Modern right now. You, like, you, you believe in these cards. You don't give up on them. I think people just get so attracted to, you know... Obviously, again, I hate on Ragavan and Renin 6 and Yorion all the time. Cough, cough, Mord. Um, <laughs> but they are extremely good cards are extremely powerful that doesn't mean that the cards that came before that aren't that were good at one point and just because Ragavan and Fury and stuff pushed them out you know stuff like that like yes is it a lot more difficult to not play with those cards sure that doesn't mean your deck still can't be competitive and win and 5-0 and you know, run hot in the tournament because you're not playing them. As long as you, like all these decks, the smallpox list, the process list, this Kethis list, like their core, like the deck knows what it wants to do. There's no like second guessing. It's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, the process list is like very, it's playing a lot of four ofs. It's all in on this crazy, you know, processing strategy that you, you know, you're trying to control the game with. The smallpox list is playing like, Superman in denial with four vindicates, four smallpox, braids, and all that stuff. This list is all in on the combo. It's not messing around with Saga or Ledger Shredder or DRC. It's just saying I'm going to try to combo kill you as fast as possible with different, you know, just different avenues of attack. So there's a lot of cards out there, whether it's a Kethis or an Ulamog's Nullifier, that are still underplayed. They just either haven't found the right home, or they their home was six years ago, but nobody went back and revisited and said, hey. Is this doable? Can we make this work? Kethis, we can argue Kethis is underplayed. We can talk about, about a lot of cards that are underplayed. 
Una Among Nullifier is played the perfect amount of play, which is a single 5-0 by a great player with a great brew, and that's the last play you should ever see. <laughs> it's going to be a modern all-star soon, trust me. I mean, I trust you can get results with it. One final question then. <laughs> so the last time you were on the cast, Anthony, uh, we were talking about Sultai Crabvine. We did a big deep dive on the archetype because... You've been having a lot of success, and you sent me your list. I picked it up and like also was having a like, great time playing it. It's been, what, eight months now? Mm-hmm. In the intervening time, Lurus has been banned. The metagame has shifted somewhat. I still like the deck. I mean, I have a yeah. couple RCQs this weekend. I'm planning to take Crabvine, but I don't, I don't understand anymore like how I should be building the last flex slots and the sideboard. I'll specifically say that without the certainty of Lurus, mm-hmm. like I just don't know what kind of graveyard hate the opponent yeah. is going to bring, right? Like it's kind of annoying to me that Unlicensed Hearse has actually been adopted in Modern. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that would just stay in Pioneer safely, but um, like now is it Merktide is bringing that in and some like random decks will play Leyland of the Void very commonly mm-hmm. where you'd almost never see that in the Lurus days. Yeah. So I think the last time I played Crabbind was in the Challenger in June and I went six and one. Um, and I played my exact same 75 that I've been playing. I, I have not changed one card. Um, my mana hasn't changed, although it probably should, as we discussed last time. But looking at the modern metagame now, I actually went through a league, um, and I think I 4 one and I dropped the Prismatic Endings and the Mainboard Godless Shrine for another blue source and three Brazen Borrowers. I think Brazen Borrower, because I, I realized like Prismatic Ending was in there for um, Sanctifier mainly, right? Just a hard answer to Sanctifier. And I realized that, you know, we really only want like, we're really winning the games on what, like turn two, turn three. That's when like all of our, you know, we're, we're having those big explosive turns. The rest of the game, we're probably, you know, it's either win more or we're trying to climb back. Um, if we're not winning on those two, you know, turns two and three where we're trying to get out those early bench finds. No one is running Sanctifiers nowadays. No, no, no. I know that's so, but you know, before when Luris was around, Sanctifier was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So in Brazen Bar, I realized I'm like, okay, well, it bounces that. It's a fine tempo play against like Merc Tide to bounce their Merc Tide or their Hearse. Because like all you sometimes need is one turn against these decks, like one extra turn to keep going to like, you know, dump enough on the board that you're probably going to win. So I, I liked Brazen Borrower a bit. I think it's worth testing in the sideboard. I'm, I'm still happy with the forces and the ley lines and the subtleties and trophies. But uh, again, Brazen Borrower, again, just being like a, a beater, a 3-1 beater in the air in some matchups might still be pretty good. Um, it's also a creature you can cast from Exile for Benjvine if that ever comes up. So that, that like, changes-wise to the sideboard, that's, that's the only thing I've experimented with. Again, my mainboard 60 hasn't changed at all. I could see playing the fourth Nargamibra over the fourth Rotting Rats, like switch those numbers. But besides that, Rotting Rats is still one of the top best cards in modern. Um, and, you know, Otherworldly Gaze is a busted magic card. No arguments on that. But yeah, the Brazen Borrower, that's so unintuitive to me. Because like, that to me doesn't actually solve any permanence, right? It just bounces. Yeah. It just buys time, but you're saying that maybe that's all I need. Yeah, like, you know, when you're against Merktide, which is a favorable matchup, even with Hearst, I still think it's favorable. 
when you're sideboarding against them, you know, let's just say they go turn two hearse. Against these Merktide strategies, you want to set up for one big combo turn, I think, one or two, whether it's with a gaze and then a set, like you cast a gaze to set up for the following turn or whatever. You want to have like the Hedron Crab double fetch land or Hedron Crab fetch land plus another creature coming down and to just explode as much that turn. Because once Merktide gets into the late game, you're probably not winning. They just they have too much value at that point. If you're going to turns like 13 or 14 against Merktide, you're probably not in the best position unless you're just all drawing lands, I guess. So Brazen Borrower, I felt like just buying you maybe that extra turn is really all you need in those matchups. Like the matchups where you want to be fast, Tron, like any matchup that would board in like Relic, I wouldn't board in Brazen Borrower because Relic can just be cracked. You're not really slowing them down too much. But like a matchup like with Hearse, two mana, it's good against Leyline of the Void, obviously. It also doesn't give them a land, which came up multiple times when I was playing against Creativity that the Assassin, it's the only deck I lost to in the challenge was that my Assassin's Trophy gave them an extra land for them to cast Archon faster or Creativity into Archon faster. And if that was a Brazen Borrower, I probably would have won because it's the same mana. I wouldn't have given them a land and that buys me that one extra turn to keep providing pressure because I ended up trophying the ley line that gave them a land they got Archon faster and I lost and they had like six life. I, I think it's worth testing. I mean, obviously there's other flex spots you can play like Nature's Claim and so on and so forth. But I think Brazen Borrower's utility is is pretty good, at least as a like a two of, maybe not three of to the extreme, but worth testing. I know that you're just going to play Crawbine because you love other worldly gays. It's just your love for that card that keeps pulling you back. Yes. <laughs> also, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of ley lines out there right now. Most people are on Endurance. This deck can recover from an Endurance because we're playing, you know, cards like Hedron Crab and Gaze where we can like just reset and try to keep going. There's not a lot of ley line in the tier one meta. It's the random decks where you just have to like... <laughs> You fear like what's coming out of the sideboard in game two because you just have no idea now because there's so many different graveyard hate cards with Leyline coming back into the meta and with Hearse being in any de any deck potentially. Like I was playing against a Merktide player and they brought in like four different graveyard hate pieces somehow. They played, played all of them. They played Soul Guide, Lantern, Hearse, Relic. Well, those players... And like a Torbod script or something like that. <laughs> those players are clearly not to be trifled with. But against, like you said, the stock list, you know what to expect. You know, hey, Hammer's not boarding in Leyline. Yeah. Again, it just goes back to if you don't know, you probably have a you have a decent amount of uh, catch-all answers at your disposal, whether you want a trophy, depending on the matchup, or that, you know, a Brazen Borrower effect where, again, all you might need is one or two turns. And if you do it on their end step, that buys you, you know, maybe all the time you need. Maybe it's not even worth them recasting because they have to add a threat to the battlefield rather than deploy a hearse again, which is not providing them any value. So that that's kind of how I look at it, whether it's right or wrong. All right. Well, I will perhaps add some borrowers to my sideboard yeah. and you know, I'll let you, I'll let you guys know how the tournaments went. <laughs> and if they do poorly, if they do poorly, I, you know, this conversation never happened. <laughs> but if you beat, if you beat somebody down with a three, one brazen borrower for the championship win, then, it's it's all and and if it sucks and never appear. Yeah. This conversation never existed and I'm gonna abide by that. Wasn't me. It wasn't him. 
You know what? I think it was David that told you about the race and borrower. All right. Well, Ant, thanks so much for coming by and telling us about some of these sweet, sweet brews. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And uh, hopefully, you know, keep doing, uh, you know, the good magic work of finding, you know, these type of decks. Because I think, you know, people get excited when they see like, oh, I remember that deck. I didn't know that deck could be good. Like when Saffron Olive played the the smallpox list, I was reading the comments. We were like, oh my God, this is so cool. This is so good. And that, you know, made me happy that, you know, I built it. But it's cool that like people are like, oh, these strategies that people thought were just dead in the water because of these hyper-efficient cards are still viable. And I think that's that's pretty cool. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, people just love the feeling of seeing their favorite cards get real value. Yeah, that's what, you know, that's my job to the people is make their bad cards somewhat playable. So we'll put the links for the deck list we've talked about in this episode in the show notes, but you should really do yourself a favor and just see these decks in action. And you can do that on Anthony's Twitch, twitch.tv slash iPlayBadDecks. That's also uh, your MTGO username. On Twitter, you are amanino33. Yeah, I, I usually post um, when I 5 Every once in a while, if I have like a streak of four ones with a really cool deck, I'll, I'll throw it on there. But I'm I'm pretty open to chatting about any brews and like if you have a list you're like oh like what do you think like I'm not gonna you know I I I think if you sh- had the time to brew a list then I should take the time to be like oh let me try this for you if you don't if you're nervous about your thing some people don't want to try their own brews and I get it I will happily or, you know <laughs> and he's willing to try literally anything yeah everybody. I'll try it no charge or it's just all all just fun right like as long as i look at him like oh this deck's cool then i'll play it yeah he's willing to do what some of us want like i need the decks to be interesting and seemingly good he just need them to be interesting yeah just make make me look at the cards for more than like if it's, if i see ragavan in there i'm gonna exit right away i don't care if you're playing like <laughs> ragavan ulamogs nullifier wait 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 what about bard class bard class i'll know what it does so i'd probably play it yeah, but what if I have Ragavan in my Bard class? Oh, uh, no, you can. That's unplayable. And Red and Six, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> it's going to be a no for me, dog. Also, never send him a Yorion deck. That immediately disqualifies it. Yeah, I don't play Yorion. <laughs> Card shouldn't exist, so I don't play it. <laughs> Anthony, we have a podcast host spot opening up. Mord is being kicked off the podcast. <laughs> Take your Yorian decks out of here, Mort. No! We get a real classic modern brewer on the show. We're overthrowing the Yorian Empire one person at a time. <laughs> exactly. But, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always. We will be back in just a couple days with our first crack at Resurgent Belief. So, stick around for that, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye! decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage faithlessbrewing.com and tune in on monday for our brew session featuring resurgent belief support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you if you're a fan of the show you can join the faithless family at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for discord access bonus content and more that's all for today stay safe and we'll see you next time <laughs>